Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, February 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a Mississippi congressman reacts to President Trump's plan to secure border wall funding through an emergency declaration. Then a bold move and a little secrecy leads to art education for a black Mississippian in the 1950s. Person hires Mayfield as a janitor. And the crux of the story is uh, Mayfield sat inside a closet at Ole Miss 10, 10, 12 years, uh, or 14 years before James Meredith ever came to Ole Miss. And after everyday tech, how a coastal health organization plans to put federal dollars to good use. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Unable to get enough funding in a deal with Congress, President Donald Trump is declaring a national emergency to build a wall between the U.S. and Mexico. The nearly $1.4 billion funding deal with Congress fell short of the $5.7 billion the president wanted for the wall. He believes that the national emergency declaration will get him access to the funding that he needs. Republican Congressman Stephen Palazzo represents Mississippi's 4th Congressional District. He offers his reaction to our Jasmine Ellis. I I think it's 100 percent up to his discretion. He gave Congress the opportunity to provide more funds for securing the border, addressing the humanitarian crisis. Uh, And what we did do with the bill that we just passed, and he wanted us to vote for it. Um, He wanted Republicans to vote for it, and he would take care of the rest. Um, So I I support his action. I've been to the border. I've seen that while I was there, I saw seven kilos of cocaine. Uh, seized uh, almost right before we showed up at a point of entry. So we know the narcotics are flowing in. We know there's criminal aliens, the trafficking of humans. And so there's truly a crisis at the border. And I've said from day one that border security is national security. we got to be able to secure our borders and protect uh, Americans and American communities. So I support the president, and I really hope um, Congress, and I don't have much faith that they'll do this with the Democrat-controlled House, has actually provide additional funding in the 2020 appropriations package for additional um, wall and barrier system. What impact do you believe this border wall will have within the nation? Well, for, first of all, it should definitely curb the illegal drugs that are finding its way into our communities. We're not just talking about marijuana. 
We're talking about fentanyl. We're talking about black tar heroin, cocaine. And, you know, when it comes across the border, that's basically distributed all across America and it's finding its way into the hands of our children. So I'm definitely hoping that we will we will uh, put a, a huge dent in the illegal drugs coming into America and two, also stopping the, the fact that, you know, they're trafficking in humans. And also there's known terrorists and, and we've actually have apprehended and seized people with known terrorist ties that are trying to come across our border. And we're not talking about, a lot of people think, oh, this is all about Mexico. We're not talking about Mexico. Most of the people coming across illegally now are, are other than Mexicans. And a lot of these people are from countries um, that we, we, we have a special interest in, such as Middle Eastern countries and African countries that have um, strong connections to terrorism. Why wasn't Congress able to give the president the funds that he was requesting to build the wall? In a sense, I think um, it came down to personalities. It came down to Speaker Pelosi and the president um, have, having a public feud over the wall. Uh, I think the uh, vote that we had was actually a win. Uh, you know, she said that she wasn't going to allow one penny to be used towards uh, securing our border. And we got almost $1.4 billion. So some people are saying that uh, that we didn't get anything. Uh, I think that's not true. I think we... We, we got a lot. We got money for not only the defensive barrier system, which some people just call the wall, but it's more than just a wall. So we, we addressed securing the border. We addressed the humanitarian crisis. And the big thing is we kept the government open. And that's what most of the American people wanted us to do, but also uh, secure the secure the border. And we're in a divided Congress now. It's, it's some people put partisan politics ahead of uh, the American people. And you, you never really win in that situation, and you never get 100% of what you want um, when there is a divided Congress. Congressman Palazzo, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jasmine. MPB News reached out to all of Mississippi's delegation, including Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson. They were unavailable. Coming up, a bold move and a little secrecy leads to art education for a black Mississippian in the 1950s. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Jerry Lee Rice was born the son of a brick mason in the Lowndes County town of Crawford in 1962. Rice is considered to be the greatest wide receiver in the history of the National Football League and before that enjoyed a record-setting college career at Mississippi Valley State University where the stadium bears his name. After being inducted into the College Football and Mississippi Sports Halls of Fame, Jerry Rice, a three-time Super Bowl champion, was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2010. This has been MPB Moments in Black History. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In 1950, Oxford, Mississippi is still highly segregated. The modern day civil rights movement is barely a flicker in the far off future. Medgar Evers was still an undergraduate at Alcorn. Martin Luther King Jr. was still a seminarian. And James Meredith was still more than 10 years away from becoming the first black student to enroll at the University of Mississippi. 
but that was the year, 1950, that M.B. Mayfield started his unofficial tenure as a secret student at Ole Miss. His story is told in the new documentary, Door Ajar. John Ryer Afmazga is the producer and director of the film. He tells us more of Mayfield's story. M.B. Mayfield, Karen, was a primitive artist, and the term primitive is a term given to self-taught artists, um, especially in the South. In 1949, while on his way to uh, become the first chairman of the art department at Old Miss, Stuart R. Persa, professor, uh, came across uh, Mayfield's artwork, Side Road and Neck Group. So he pulls over and he goes into the house and, and he meets uh, Mayfield's mother, who advises Mayfield of Persa and, uh, and how, how Persa was interested in meeting him. Persa hires Mayfield as a janitor, and it was his way or their way of circumnavigating segregation in 1949. And the crux of the story is uh, Mayfield sat in, inside a closet at Ole Miss 10, 10, 12 years, uh, or 14 years before James Meredith ever came to Ole Miss. So when I say that, I say that with the most respect because I actually went down to Jackson and, and interviewed Meredith as well and let him know what I was up to because I was very conscious that his legacy and what. You said that um, Purser saw Mayfield's artwork on the side of the road in Ekru. Was, was Mayfield selling his artwork on the side of the road? He, he displayed his artwork because he was proud of it. And over time, after 1952, when he came back from Old Miss, he started selling his work or people started commissioning, commissioning him. But, you know, he was proud of his work. And it was actually a bust of Joe Lewis, the boxer, and Washington, George Washington Carver. And that's what caught Purser's attention. You said he was hired as a janitor. Was he specifically hired as a janitor so he could sit in the closet, or did that come afterwards? He really got a job as a janitor, and and then uh, there was figured out a way for him to be in the closet to watch the class. When we take into account the fact that Purser's father was a member of the KKK in um, Louisiana, we start to see all these different possibilities and the fact that could have been something on Purser's conscience that he would have come across Mayfield's work and then formulated such a plan. I think it was a very deliberate plan right from the start. Back then, Ole Miss had its uh, art gallery museum on University Ave. Purser set up Mayfield in that place. There was a one-bedroom apartment up the top, and his job was to be the cleaner or the caretaker of the museum, but also clean the art department at Ole Miss. He bought the art supplies. He also bought the easel, but those things were inside the, the, the broom closet. I've got footage of Mayfield being interviewed in 2003, um, confirm that, and talk about you know being in the closet, uh, painting, also uh, being a model, which is one of the paintings that I use in the promotion of Dora Jar. Did you learn if anyone else knew, any of the other students knew he was in the closet taking the class? Absolutely. Everyone knew. It was, it's like old Mrs. Best Kept Secret, Oxford's Best Kept Secret back in 1949, in that the students, and check this out, William Faulkner, all of them donated money towards his art supplies and even um, a trip for Mayfield in, I think it was 1951, to go to Chicago to see Van Gogh's work displayed in Chicago. And the thing is, uh, William Faulkner struck up a relationship with um, Stuart R. Purser, and they used to conveniently bump into each other on the square where uh, Purser used to paint on a 
Saturday morning and Faulkner would go down there and say hello and, and, and check up on how Mayfield was doing. How old was Mayfield when he was taking the class from the closet? According to a book written by Dave McGee, who a former general manager of the Eagle here, and Dave McGee's book is titled The Education of Mr. Mayfield. According to that book, he's 26 years old. However, he says in an interview to someone else um, who recorded uh, one of the subjects in, in my film that he was 22. How did he live out his days? Was he a professional artist? Was he, did he become well-known? He became like a cult figure around here. Mayfield would go on to paint hundreds of paintings, and some of them for as small as $35 so he could buy a pair of glasses. It was just the way things are. In 86, he came back to Old Miss and had a, um, an exhibition there. And he had a few exhibitions around the South, um, also at Southside here on the Oxford Square. In terms of uh, uh, making it big or cracking it, no, he never did. And so that's one of the interesting things that could come of this, um, this film. The movie is called Dora Jar, the M.B. Mayfield story. We've been speaking with its director and writer, John Rayer Afamasaga. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Door Ajar, the story of M.B. Mayfield, premiered this month at the Oxford Film Festival. It was awarded Best Mississippi Feature. Coming up, how a coastal health organization plans to put federal dollars to good use. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Couture, and today we're discussing pets and technology. So, Wilts, how has technology changed the way people interact with their pets? Well, Michelle, just like technology has definitely revolutionized the way that all of us communicate with each other, be it via instant messaging, texting, uh, video chat, a lot of those same things are actually coming to the pet world. Now, I think we're a long ways off from the day being that our pets are going to actually be texting us back and forth, but we've definitely seen technology's influence when it comes to pet cams. Um, these are devices that can be set up at your home, uh, being set up with a lot of different kennels and veterinary offices. Uh, say, for example, if your pet was having to stay overnight from a procedure, uh, maybe you're on an extended vacation and you've had to board them, or even you're just at the office during the day, you can actually interact with your pet with video and audio. So you can actually see what's going on. You can actually talk back and forth because let's be realistic with this. 
when it comes to pets, both owners and pets can have a little bit of separation anxiety. There's, there's nothing wrong with using technology to alleviate that, both for the pet and for the pet owner as well. So honestly, that has been a huge advantage when it comes to our utilization of technology with our pets. So Wilts, technology not only allows people to interact with their pets in a more effective way, but it also can help you keep them healthy and active. Well, indeed it can. Just like we're seeing with modern smartphones and some of the smart wearables that we have out there, these same things have also come out for pets. And so what we have is essentially fitness monitors as well as GPS trackers that you can affix to your dog, cat, or any other animal that you have as a pet. So at its core would be the GPS tracking. We've all seen the heartbreaking signs whenever someone has lost a pet, uh, be it from a thunderstorm, they got them a little bit scared, they ran off, or, or what have you. With modern GPS technology, even the collar your pet is wearing can help ensure that they actually make it back home. An important thing to remember with this also, though, is just remember you got to have one with a good battery because the battery will eventually run out. So taking it a step further, wearables for your pets today make it possible to collect data about your pet's activity levels, about their diet, and can even alert you if it's sensing unusual behaviors or other kind of health concerns. Several devices can even be set up to connect to your veterinarian in order to help them keep tabs on your dog's health. Remember, by focusing on health as well as activity with our pets, it can also kind of help us out. So just imagine if your pet's getting a lot of good exercise, hopefully you're getting out there with them as well, and it could end up paying off for both of you. Wilts, I've heard a lot about microchipping. What exactly is microchipping, and is it safe for your pet? Well, Michelle, a microchip for your pet is a small device placed just under their skin by your veterinarian. It's probably about the size of a grain of rice. And what happens is this device can be scanned by veterinarians across the country or by humane societies whenever a pet is actually found. And it links into a database that would contain your information, contact information, names, etc., so that they can make sure that your pet is reunited with you. It can definitely be the difference between a lost and found family pet. Is microchipping expensive? Microchipping in and of itself is really not all expensive. You're generally looking at a one-time fee of anywhere between $25 to $40. Do people need to be concerned about privacy issues? Well, the only information that's actually held on the microchip is an identifying number. So this is not a device that is transmitting or sending out information. Your personal information is not actually contained in that chip in your pet. What's actually there is just a number, just an ID number, very similar to a social security number or driver's license number. And the veterinarian or humane society would have to then take that number, plug it into a separate database to look up your information. So Fido is not walking around with your phone number and address actually under their skin. So, Michelle, while technology does not replace actually enjoying your pet and spending time and sharing that love and interaction, what it can do is it can add to those experiences, both for us as well as for our furry friends. Well, that will wrap us up for today. To hear more Everyday Tech, tune in each Wednesday at 10 a.m. or online at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thank <laughs> you. 
This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. African-American families, mothers, and babies on the Mississippi Gulf Coast will benefit from a $3.4 million grant to improve health. That's according to the Mississippi Public Health Institute. The five-year grant was awarded to the nonprofit by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Roy Hart is with the Public Health Institute. He talks about the program with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. As Mississippians, we experience higher rates of obesity, higher rates of chronic disease, and that is exacerbated in the African-American population generally statewide. There are communities that experience higher um, disparities. And so the, the Gulf Coast, while it's, it's a larger population center, gave us an opportunity to work with some existing resources and some funding that has come along that, that they've begun to build their capacity to address these kinds of issues locally. And what we're going to use the REACH funds for is to kind of continue that building process, but to really involve members of the community to come in as stakeholders to drive the program implementation and to be a part of that implementation and evaluation so that the community exists as a stakeholder. What are some of the things that you are seeing? What diseases exactly on the Gulf Coast? All Mississippians experience higher rates of chronic disease than most of the rest of the states in the United States. And African Americans typically experience that at a higher rate in Mississippi than do all other races. Um, So the Gulf Coast was picked as as the kind of the focus, the three coastal counties, Harrison, Hancock, and Jackson, because of the unique kind of setting and opportunities that the existing resources provided for us, typically African-American families, their impact of chronic disease is not typically a lot higher than the rest of the African-American population in the state. It's just that that gave us a unique opportunity to bring together resources and focus on, a, on, on an area of the state that we could potentially see some really great gains in, in addressing some of the issues that, that affect health status and reduce chronic disease rates and give us an opportun- opportunity to share that information with the Department of Health, working with the Department of Health and the other collaborators, and then take that and move to another area of the state 
with the things that we learn on the coast. So the State Department of Health cannot do all the public health work by itself. Communities have to be actively involved in in addressing issues that, that they face. And first, they have to understand how it affects their health and the economics of the community as it's related to health. So all that, we intend to roll all that into the learning cycle that we're working with at the community level and address breastfeeding as, as, a, as a potential risk or lack of breastfeeding as a potential risk factor for developing chronic disease. And it's linked to potential obesity in children, and it directly ref- affects the health status of the mom, and also tobacco-free living. So the things that we learn down there, we intend to include the government agencies there, the business community down there, the large military community that exists down there, and and try to kind of leverage all the resources that are interested in health and allow them to come together and create an environment that facilitates health. It, It allows an individual to become more healthy without having to think about it consciously. Roy Hart is the Chief Executive Officer for the Mississippi Public Health Institute. Thank you so much, Roy. Thank you very much. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's At Issue on Think Radio. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org underwriting.